um, and I elected to um, take care of you all today, all right? So it's the Tim and Jerry show, and so thanks for showing up, and now um, we'll move forward. Announcements-wise, there's a few things here I want to make sure you're aware of. When you walked in, you could have, should have, would have picked up the new May bulletin that's coming out, so that is um, there a ton of stuff. Somehow we thought May was going to be a light month, and then we did the bulletin, we're like, huh, May's not so light. There's a lot of things going on. So check that out. Um, in that, you'll see a few things. One is, we've been talking about this, the Filoli Gardens trip, um, which is ha- taking place on Saturday, the 4th of May. I know a number of you are signed up. You can still sign up at the back and um, go on that cool trip and hang out together as Cedarites, right? So um, next, baptisms on Cinco de Mayo. I think we have like 11 or 12 baptisms set, like a lot. So it's going to be really cool. If you are praying about it or want to be baptized, um, let me know. Let Jeff know. Call the office this week. Um, we can see if we can um, fit you in for this one. But it'd be a really cool event. Should be a lot of good uh, testimonies. And so we have that going on. Next, uh, so three mission-oriented things. One is next Sunday on Cinco de Mayo, during the first service in room 113, I'm going to be waiting for anybody that has interest in joining the missions committee or the missions team, right? So we're still in the midst of building some of these teams that haven't been built yet. This is one of them. So if you just have any interest in global missions, local missions, you want to see what we may or may not do, you may have an idea about it, or you can spell it properly and want to make sure it's spelled properly, Come to that meeting and, um, and, just, and just hang out, and we'll uh, go from there, right? So that's one. Number two is on Sunday, May 19th, um, Rich and Kristen Todd, the Todds, will be back here. Um, he's going to be guest preaching, and we're going to have just a weekend of mission stuff. We'll be taking um, the special offering for um, the, the um, commission, the Great Commission, and um, have a great missions-oriented weekend that weekend. But just want to make sure you're aware of that. And then finally, we've been talking about this, the Mexico mission trip. And I think when I looked in planning center, there were four of you who signed up, and then one of the four decided not to go. So that we have three people. So we committed to 30. We're at three, which is 10%. So now the 90% of you who have been wondering, waiting to sign up, need to sign up, right? And then with that, there's another meeting coming up on May 19th as well. Um, So again, if you have questions about Mexico, if you're worried about finances or whatever is going on, um, see me, see Jeff, call the office. But again, we'd love, love, love to have you go on that mission trip, all right? So with that, I'm going to change a little bit of gear here, and I um, had a little bit of technical difficulty, um, but that's all right. It probably wasn't going to work. Um, but we are starting today a new sermon series um, covering the book of Hebrews. And in that, there are some resources that we have made available for you as we go through this. So one is the Hebrews journal, like we had for Philippians. You can buy this at the info center and take it for notes and use that um, and um, and it has some, some, uh, some devotionals in there as well. But that's available for you to purchase. But the bigger thing is we, we want to make sure that you're downloading this app. We talk about the YouVersion app all the time. Um, and in there, you can sign up for reading plans and devotional plans. And so this um, devotion, which has several weeks to it, I think it's nine weeks in total, on Hebrews called um, Jesus is Greater— um, is available on that app. And you can download that on your app um, or on your computer as well to go through each week. 
what Jeff did so great for us before he left was he went through and made a printout of how to go to the website and step-by-step instructions on how to download this app and find this reading plan on your, your phone or your tablet or your computer. So this instruction sheet is also at the info center that's back there as well. And um, in order to enable to help you go through it um, kind of week by week and day by day, um, we will have each week a reading plan. So if you aren't able to somehow access it digitally, uh, we will have a reading plan as well. All right, any questions on that? You're awake? Got your coffee? All right. So um, again, just a resource for us to do. Um, you can actually even um, join the, the um, Cedars group that'll be on there. You can do discussions throughout the week and that. Um, but it'd be a re- it's going to be a really cool um, sermon series that we're kicking off, and we're kicking it off today. All right, so now I'm going to change gears and pray, and we're going to hop into this because I've got a boatload of an overview intro to the book for you, which hopefully will happen in a half an hour. Let's pray. Father, we do just stop and, and we just thank you. Thank you that you're here in our midst. Thank you that you are waiting for us. God, thank you that you're mindful of us and you, you care about us throughout each day. And I believe in my heart you just were anticipating this morning for us to come and worship you, to hear from your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our hearts. Um, give me the, the words to speak, and we just trust you for the timing of what is to be said. And we trust these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our sermon series here, Jesus is Greater. Um, if you're you familiar with the book of Hebrews, or if you've read it before, you will see that there's some key words that happen in there. Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. Um, Jesus is better than. So you could almost call this book the better than book or the comparison book, but it's always Jesus is greater than, right? So if you're a mathematician or if you like, you know, um, to, to write it out in a math formula, that would be it. And then all the rest of these weeks we have going on, there will be specific things that we'll be looking at that are in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is greater than. But today I want to give you a bit of an overview and walk you through just the, the book of Hebrews in general so we know where we're going. And I have to, um, I have to confess from the get-go that this is actually my favorite book in the Bible. Well, in addition to John and Colossians and First and Second Timothy and Psalm and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Nehemiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, this is my favorite book. And, and typically throughout each year— um, and I'm going to have some big words for us here to look at um, today. But usually, at least once or twice a year, I will go through the book of Hebrews and Colossians and John. Because I'm focused on one thing. I want to make sure each year that I refocus on my Christology. My understanding of who Jesus is, who is the Christ. And these books, in my estimation, um, John is a gospel well, actually all the Gospels, but John, Colossians, and Hebrews most clearly in my mind help me refine and redefine who Jesus is and clear on who Jesus is because that's why we're here. And so this book does that um, in a very unique way. And so Jesus is greater than, and this is where we're going to go today. Again, I'm going to try and stay about the 30-foot 30,000 foot level. We might dive down into a couple valleys and come back up, and hopefully we will arrive in time for worship singing. All right, so here we go. 
Um, real quick, just a background. Why a background? Why to understand that, right? When we are reading the, God, the Word of God, we want to know the different books that we're reading. What's the context? Who was it written into? Why was it written? What's the purpose? All of those things should be or could be in our mind as we start to read so we know why it's important or how it fits into the whole story that God is telling, right? So the book of Hebrews um, is actually the, one of the more mysterious books in the Bible, because there's a lot of specifics that you would ask about it that are unknown. Uh, for instance, the author. We really don't know who wrote it. Uh, historically, it was uh, attributed to Paul, but there's some critical discussion about that. Um, it's never in there um, that it's from Paul, but everything else Paul wrote, he lets you know it was from him, right? So there's some discussion on that. It could also be um, from Barnabas. It could be from Apollos. It could be from Silas, Luke. Um, there, there's still unknown as to who actually wrote this book. But the author was familiar with the people he was writing it to. We do know that because of the way that it's written. Um, the date is unknown. Uh, a couple key points is probably in the early uh, 60s. It's written probably after um, Claudius um, expelled some of the Jews and Christians out of Rome, and then before um, Nero started persecuting the Christians, and then also in A.D. 70 when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed because there's no mention of that in the book, right? So we're trying to pinpoint when it was. Why is that significant? Because the recipients, the people it was written to, had started to feel a little bit of persecution. And because that, start, that heat started to, to turn up on them, they were starting to waver in their commitment to Jesus. And their, their idea was, hey, you know what? This would be a lot easier for our lives if we went back to being Jews and following Judaism. But then what's going on in the book is the, is the writer saying, hey, look, that whole system is going away and gone away because someone and something greater has come. So what are you going to go back to is even obsolete, why, you know, persevere, persevere, persevere. So that's kind of the backdrop of the book. And in that, um, in that date, right, there's two things. One was there was some, some persecution going on. And it, and it talks about that. And then in um, chapter 12, it says, but you have not yet um, per been persecuted to the point of shedding your own blood, right? So we know that actually would come in Nero's persecution, but also was a talk about Jesus, right? Because he shed blood for them, right? So, so again, we'll see some of that as well. So that's kind of the timing of that and the recipients, right? But that's the key thing with the recipients. that they, We know that they were Jewish most likely Jewish background believers who made a decision for Jesus and now the persecution is starting and they're wavering in their commitment and their decision to follow Jesus. And they're wanting to go back because it was easier or less suffering under um, being connected in with Judaism, right? And so that's the backdrop of why this is being written. And this writer gives a clear, clear, clear explanation on who Jesus is, why he's superior, and the work that he's done. All right? With me so far? Yes? All right. All right. Um, just a couple things real quick. Um, the, if you look in the original language, it's written um, in, in very eloquent, eloquent Greek, which was not Paul's style, which is one of the reasons why we don't think it was Paul. It was, it's, very, it's, it's very poetic, very eloquent in the Greek writing, and Paul was very rude with his Greek structure, right? So, so just FYI on that. Um, but it also, it uses this um, thing that's called the Septuagint. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. 
So the Greek version of, their, of the Bible that they had, Paul would have used that in the original language, right? So again, just giving you some backdrop. And they think that, that most likely the recipients were from Rome or in Rome. Um, and so that's who it's probably written to. All right, so with that, we are going to jump in. Um, two big words for us to think about today, Christology and soteriology. Christology is the study of Jesus, and soteriology is the study of salvation. And they both come to a head and unified in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what this writer is looking to get across. That not only did God come in the flesh, but he came in the flesh to do a work. And so the work of the Messiah and the person of the Messiah are joined together that you can't really separate them. And that's one of the things that the the writer of Hebrews wants to get across. And so we're going to see that throughout the whole of the series, a little bit today. But keep in mind these two things. Who is Jesus and what did he do? That's, what, that's basically what those two big words mean, all right? So that's where we're going, and here will we kind of go. One more, one more thing. In case we run out of time, here's your roadmap. Here's where we're going today, and now we're going to start. Better than. Jesus better than. And, and the writer starts out, straight from the get-go with these words here out of Hebrews 1, chapter 1 through 4. And this um, should be in the YouVersion app as well if you want to follow along there. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Right? So in the past— right? The Old Testament, all the writings in the scripture they're familiar with, God spoke to them time and time and time again through prophets, through kings, through people who were delivering his message over and over and over again that Messiah was coming. And then the son came and it should have been and is the fulfillment of everything those prophets were talking about. And the writer starts out here and he uses a different phrase. He says, the son of God came. And, and we think of son, sometimes when we're in a Christmas series, we don't do justice to the meaning of son, right? We think of like God's the father and, and Virgin Mary and the birth, and that's all true. But when you have the son, the son is the exact representation, the essence of the father. Full authority, carries the full weight, and is from that source. And that's what this is talking about here, that, that you could send messengers in your name, And they may or may not be received. And that's what Jesus would talk about. He's like, I sent messengers, but now I've sent the Son. The Son comes. He has the full authority of the Father. And what he says goes. And that's what the writer is saying here. We, for so long, we had had people who were preparing the way. Then finally, the one that they were preparing the way for showed up. And that's how he starts. And as I think about this, I think about maybe... um, historically, I go back and I think about, I saw this picture, and I couldn't find it to show you, of the Empire State Building when it was first built. In Manhattan, in New York City, there really weren't, there weren't any big skyscrapers. There were some maybe like six-story buildings. It was pretty small. This thing was outrageous. And so if, if I, if I was saying, hey, you know, there's this building that's going to be built in New York called Empire State Building, and I kept showing you pictures of it, but you had no, you had no idea, you had no brain space of what this really meant. And then you went away to Pennsylvania or whatever, and you came back after it was built. You would be amazed. You're like, oh, wow, that's what it is. You might not have understood the architectural drawings and these mock-ups, but when it came and it was built, 
should have blown you away and you'd have known, like, that's what you're talking about. Well, that's what's happening here. He's saying, hey, look, we sent you. I sent, you know, God sent over and over architectural drawings of what he was doing, but one day the true thing showed up, and that's the sun. And so that's where he's starting this book from. And so the sun is far superior to anything or anybody. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs, right? And then we're going to go through in the weeks all of these um, comparisons that Jesus is greater than. And the first one we'll see is Jesus is greater than the angels and Moses and Joshua. And we're going to go through that. But he starts out right here and he says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. It's very similar to in John chapter 1. When it's the, you know, with the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? Nobody's ever seen God, but we've seen the one and only who comes from God, full of grace and full of truth. That's in John 1. Or in Colossians, three times in various ways, it says the Son came and, and, and God was pleased to have his, his, his divinity dwell in his Son. Or he was the exact representation of his Son in chapters 1 and 2. It's the same thing that this writer is saying here. That in, in the past, he sent people who would speak for him. But in these days, these days, God showed up in the flesh, in the person of his son, in full authority, and is speaking with full authority. Nobody, that never happened. He sent, he sent prophets. He spent, sent people to speak for him. But they were waiting for this person to arrive. They're waiting for God to show up in the flesh, and he's here. And I love that language. Is after he had provided purification for sin, which is what we just celebrated on Good Friday and Easter, then, he, then the resurrection on the day of Pentecost, he went back up and sat, right, back in community with God. And as I think about that, I'm like, for me, that's like the ultimate victory. Like, you know, back in the day, you know, um, astronauts used to come back as a kid. I remember watching this, and they would have the ticker tape parade, right, in New York City. And, and you're just like, yeah, because there's victory, right? Or, you, you know, the, the, the Giants in this decade have won three World Series compared to the Dodgers, Jason. Um, right? So we would, right? So what happened is, right, we would take transit up to New York, I mean, to San Francisco, right, and, and celebrate, right? That's the language that's happening here, that he was done, like, drop the mic, it's over. Like, that's the language that's happening here. That it, he, is, he was victorious, is victorious, and something great and different has taken place and is taking place. It's kind of like maybe if you play cards. Um, I know in the, in the game of Pinochle that we play, um, the ace of spades is the trump card. Like that, you put that down and you just, you win that hand, right? That's what God just did. He's like, I'm going to show up in the form of my son, and that's the trump card. And like nothing else beats it. And he showed up. And he showed up in the person of, of, of Jesus, and he showed up to do the work that he was called to do, superior to everything that had happened before. And that's where the writer starts out. And so this idea of superiority, or like I said, better than or greater than, um, is going to show up through the rest of the series that we do. And, and the writer is going to be meticulous to show why this is the case. Again, because he wants to encourage those people who are on the fence and thinking about going back, that there's nothing to go back to. And why would you go back to the minor leagues when you are in the major leagues? 
right? To put it in, in baseball terms. Or why would you go back to, to, you know, being the sous chef when you are the chef? And so that's what the writer's trying to get across. And so as he does that, he continues to work his way through um, the book. Again, this is an overview. Um, there's four things we're going to take a look at. That Jesus was there to fulfill the covenant, to be a new mediator, to be a superior high priest, and to be a superior high priest with a better sacrifice. These are all themes that come through this book because the writer in his pastoral heart wants to make sure these people do not shrink back from the decision that they have made. Even though persecution has started and is ramping up. He says, we, got, we have to persevere. And so Jesus' superiority is a fulfillment of the Sinai covenant. Right? So in the Old Testament, there actually are a number of covenants. The one that's the most prominent is what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was um, a bilateral agreement. This was a conditional agreement. God said, I am going to bless you, and I'm going to love you, and all these cool things. You have to be faithful and obedient to this covenant. And Moses and the angels were the ones that were the mediators. He was the, he was the lawgiver, Moses, and it was mediated by the angels. And so, like, it was a big deal. This was from God, revelation from God of how to approach him and how to draw near him because that's the bottom line question for humanity. How do we get restored back to God? How do we draw near to God? And so God's initiated this, this system with, through Moses. But it, was in, it, it, it had a purpose, but its purpose wasn't to justify or to make us righteous. Its purpose, um, we'll see, um, was to lead us to the Messiah. And so now Jesus shows up, and he shows up as a fulfillment to that covenant. Uh, Galatians um, chapter 3, verse 23 says, Before this, this coming faith of Christ, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until that faith that was to come, which is Jesus, would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until the Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we're no longer under guardians. So what basically Paul is saying in Galatians is the law was a babysitter. That's that word pedagogue, is a custodian. It was there, just to, it was a nanny, just to make sure that you didn't mess up and keep you in line and keep swatting you on the bottom to keep, get, keep you going the right way until the sun would show up and you would grow up into being heirs and children of God. And that served its purpose. Because when the sun came, then that was no longer needed. We didn't need a custodian anymore. There was a new, there was a new covenant coming. And so that's what the writer is talking about here. That the, the former regulation, the old law, is set aside because it was weak and useless, for it did not make, uh, the law did not make anything perfect or complete or justified. And a better hope was introduced by which we draw near to God. That's why Jesus came was so he could restore the relationship that was broken in the garden so we could appropriately approach God. Elsewhere in Hebrews, that's not going to be talked about today, but it says that we now have this assurance that we can approach the throne room of grace and access through Jesus. We, we have full authority to come into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that before. And now we have that in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? So we can figure out how it is we can appropriately draw near to God and not be destroyed. And he goes on. And he says, it is not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. 
But he became a priest, Jesus, with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will change your mind and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. God gave an oath. He gave his word. He said, I'm going to send my son. And then he sent the prophets to remind them over and over and over, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then he came. Anybody in here, the type that's the, I told you so? Come on, be honest. If you're the, I told you so, like, I told you so, right? Anybody else? Just me? Okay, me and Andy. There we go. I love Andy. All right. And Rich. Right? But, but you know, like, something happens and finally, like, you know, you get to the end result. You're like, I told you so. Like, I told you to clean your room or whatever the thing was. And all of a sudden, it, you know, it comes to a head. And you're like, well, I told you so, right? So sometimes we do look down on I told you so's. But what I do appreciate is sometimes we don't tell. It's not so much that I told you so. It's a matter of, I told you. And that's what the prophets did over and over and over. God saying like, I told you. I told you I love you, Jeremiah. I told you I'm coming. I told you I'm coming. I told you I'm coming. I told you to obey. I told, like, why? Because I want to be with you. And then he came. And the person of Jesus, he's like, I told you. And I'm here better than anything that we'd ever had before. And he shows up, and he instills a new covenant. And he does so in the form of being the new mediator, right? So a mediator, really, their job is to represent two parties. And that's what Jesus did. On the one side, he represents and is God, and he stands for salvation and all the work that he did for salvation. And that's what he represents on the side of God. But the side of us, he extends that grace, And then our responsibility in that bilateral agreement is either to receive it or reject it. And then with that, we become children or we still remain rebellious. But Jesus stands in the middle mediating the fellowship of God with the desire for his people. And that's what the mediator is doing of a new covenant. A new permanent, lasting covenant that was unlike anything that they had ever known. And that's what Jesus is doing. And it's built on a better promise, meaning that, that it's complete. It'll serve a higher spiritual purpose because it can do what the law under Moses was unable to do, but to make us justified. Because in Christ, we're justified, we're made right, and we're restored in relationship with God. And that's what the mediator is coming to do. He's coming to speak full authority on God's behalf and to, to beg us. Beg us to believe, to challenge us to believe, to encourage us to believe. And that's what the writer is talking about here. That that's the role of this mediator. Faithful to God and desiring for us to trust and believe and walk in him. And by by calling this new covenant, uh, this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete will be outdated and soon disappear. And so while the writer is writing that, he's encouraging them, like, you, you may be thinking about going back, but you're going back to a system that will no longer exist. So why would you do that? Why would you shrink back? And he's challenging them to keep going in the faith, in the decision that they are making and have made, but to keep going because you're on the right path. And there's a new there's a new covenant coming. In this section here, and, and I failed to mention earlier, but the, the writer of Hebrews um, quotes so much from the prophets and the, and the psalmist, but 
from all the writers, all the categories. And in this section here, he quotes from Jeremiah 31, where it says that the, the time is coming and has come when I'll put a new covenant in their heart and, and write my law in their mouth and in their heart so they will know me. And that was the promise that God gave, I told you so, in Jeremiah, I'm coming. So when the writer is writing here, if they understood their Jewish schooling background, they just said, oh yes, Jeremiah told us at several occasions. Isaiah told us. The prophets told us he was coming with a new covenant. And he's here. And so the writer continues to encourage them and to encourage them that the, new, the covenant is here and the new mediator is here. And then something very unique that not only is Jesus the fulfillment and the, the mediator, he serves as high priest. Now maybe when they were reading this, they might say, wait a minute, hold on. We do know our Jewish, our Jewish Bible. Um, the priesthood were tied to the Levites. And Jesus, and we know that, came from the tribe of Judah. So how can he be a high priest? And the writer's like, I was, I was thinking you might have that argument. So pay attention. He says, if Per, if, per, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law was given to the people established that priesthood, then why was there still a need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. And he of whom of these things is said to belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar." So if we go back into our history in, in Genesis, um, in the very beginning of the call of Abraham, um, he had a nephew named Lot. And Lot lived in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And at one point, there were these four kings that decided, hey, that land looks pretty cool. We're going to go take that land. So they took that land, sacked all those people, and brought them back. And now Abraham finds out that his nephew has been taken captive. So he gets his 300 and some odd trained people, and he goes out to war Abraham and his 300 against four kings, and he, and, he, and he kicks their butt. And he sets Lot free, sets all the people free, and he brings them back. And as he's on his way back home, there's this guy that comes out. And his name is Melchizedek. And, and he's a priest. And, and the writer of Hebrews actually um, expands on this, and he says it this way. He says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem. And priest of God Most High. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem. And it means king of peace. Without father or mother or without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of, or end of his life, like the son of man, he is a priest forever. And so we know from Genesis, and we're being reminded in Hebrews, that there is an eternal priesthood that existed that's separate from what was in the law. And Jesus is a priest in that order of Melchizedek that is eternal. And so if they had any objection that, hey, wait a minute, Jesus can't be the high priest, the writer was reminding them, remember, there is a priesthood that is above that. And this son of mine comes from that priesthood. Again, 
He's trying to encourage them in the midst of what they're hearing and what they're going through, that they won't shrink back from, from in the midst of persecution back to a system that is outdated and is about to fade away. And so the writer of Hebrews is reminding them. It says, For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. In regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what he has said even more is clear is if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation of his ancestry, but on the basis of power and indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Right? And that's what Christ did when he came. He fulfilled these promises. And the writer is reminding them that, hey, remember, we knew of an order of priesthood that was greater than this. And he's come, and that's who he is. So if you have a fear that he can't make restitution for us, do not let that worry you or keep you from moving on in your faith. Right? So the writer is trying to, to knock down their objections one after the other after the other that Christ is greater than their whole system, because that's what they were going to need to overcome their doubts and their, and their unbelief. And so Jesus is high priest. And now there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever, and he is a, has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them, right? So the Christology of who he is and the soteriology of the work that he does right here is coming together. And so the writer is explaining that as clearly as he could to these people who were wavering in their faith. That he saves completely. What could be done in the Old, in the old Testament, the, the Old Law, the Old Covenant, was this word atonement, when you mean a covering for so underneath there is our sin, and this atonement would happen and would be in between God and our sin, but it never took it away. It just covered it until the Christ came and he could take away that sin. But they had to believe in faith that this person was coming, that as they submitted to this system and they were faithful to obey, they knew one day that the Messiah would come and fully take care of that sin. Not that it's just covered, but it's gone away. And that's what the writer is talking about here. And he comes with a better sacrifice. The day after day, the priest stands and performs their religious duties. Day after day, again and again, they offer the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered once and for all a sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. When he sacrificed once and for all on the cross, our sins were paid for and covered. And he did his happy dance, and he went back to heaven as the victory. The ticket tape parade that went back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, done once and for all. And so the readers are hearing this. And what are they going to do? And he exhorts them to persevere. And he pleads with them in chapter 10, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God to believe in him, you will receive what is promised. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And he's challenging them. Yes, difficulty is coming and is here and is coming greater than you even imagine. But don't give up your hope. Don't trade it back in. 
because there's nothing really to trade it back into. And he says to persevere in faith, right? The, chapter 11, you're probably familiar with that. Um, sometimes it's called the, the Hall of Fame of all these Old Testament people who lived by faith but had yet to actually receive what God had, prom- God had promised. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of things that are unseen. And this is what the ancients were commended for, right? And then verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who believes must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That it's faith. All of these guys that are, that are listed in this chapter that we'll go through, they live by faith, but not one of them. It says not one of them had yet received what was promised. But they lived by faith, knowing that the promise was to come, and they would receive it in due time. But it didn't happen in this lifetime, but it happens in the life of eternity. And he goes on, therefore, in verse 12, one of my favorite scriptures, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scoring that shame, and then was seated back at the right hand of the Father. Consider him in the midst of this opposition so you do not grow weary and lose heart. And that's what the writer is saying. Hey, Jesus set the way for us. We know what he endured. He endured this for us. And yes, suffering may come, and suffering is coming, but don't lose heart. Because this, this pays an eternal dividend. And if you sell this short, there's no other option. And that's what the writer is saying. And in the midst of Hebrews, and we'll finish with this, that there are five warnings that he writes. And they progressively get worse as you go along in the book. Because he's reminding them that there's no other option. If you're going to, to, to toss away your faith in Christ, there's nothing to go back to. And I thought about that in our situation. I don't know what backgrounds we came out of. But if we were to say, no, we're not going to follow Jesus, what are we going back to? Humanism? Atheism? A different religion? Or just our own self? Don't throw away our confidence, even though it comes with a suffering and struggle for something that is unable to do anything to save us and help us draw close to God. And that's what Hebrews is all about. And we're going to look into that each week. And this is kind of just an overview of where we're going, kind of the roadmap. But I know in our day and age, right, Christianity in Silicon Valley is not the popular thing. And right now, right, we, we suffer shame because people are like, oh, you're a loser. They call us a name or whatever. Or maybe they unfriend us on Facebook, whatever. These people and other places around the world, like the bombings in Sri Lanka and all the things that we read and don't hear about in our news of Christians being killed for their faith, Don't shrink back because there's nothing else to go to. There's no one else who will save other than Jesus. And yes, our faith may lead us on a road of challenge and suffering, but there's nothing else to trade it in for. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. 
and we're going to explore that in a much deeper level. That's the reality for us today, that Jesus is who God promised, and what he did was what was promised and effective. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this book. I thank you for that. I don't know how many times in my life I've read it, but your encouragement comes to persevere. And even though we do undergo suffering, and there may be more and deep and greater suffering to come, where else can we turn? You got to think about when, when you were talking about your body and your blood in John, and people thought, this is crazy, and they left, and you turned to your disciples, and you're like, are you leaving too? And like, where would we go? You're the only one with words of life. Lord, help us to grow in our, in our maturity, which is in here. Give us confidence in you. Lord, we have made, if we have declared you as our Savior, we have made the right choice. Help us to grow in that and not to shrink back. And I thank you as we just celebrated Easter and, and the resurrection and, the, and Good Friday. What you did was effective for all time. And Jesus, you mediate, you reach out in reconciliation, asking, begging, pleading that people would come to faith through the work that you did. And then you call us to join in that same declaration. And I pray that you would strengthen us to be uh, mouthpieces where you put us in our inner circles so that people would know the grace and the majesty of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.